You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's edition. And I am joined this week by Nick Riley, also known as Gosh, who has kindly agreed to become at least a semi-regular new co-host on the show. So, welcome Nick, how are you? Thanks Simon, I'm good, thank you. Uh, I, I, I like your introduction, I must admit. Um, I think that the uh, quite often the other takes over. <laughs> and anything else that takes our attention is often the kind of things that we actually get waylaid into. <laughs> well, never mind, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Sometimes there's more Apple news than there is others, and sometimes other things are slightly more interesting. Indeed. But uh, this week, I have to say, Nick, we are swamped with news. Loads of stuff. It's been, <laughs> it's been a news bonanza this week. Um, well, I suppose we'll just uh, crack on, shall Sounds we? Sounds good to me. We've got so much to do. Um, right. Well, the big news of the week is, of course, new MacBook Pros with new processors, more RAM, a newish keyboard, newish, not quite new, uh, more spec, more money, more pro, <laughs> more cash. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a uh, yeah. when, when I noticed they'd come out, because, you know, Apple makes sure you notice, don't they? Um, I thought, I wonder how much these cost fully spec. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. They get over to over £6,000, and I thought, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Um, mind you, I, I mean, I took a look. Um, only applies to the touch bars, so the non-touch bar. If you want one without the touch bar, you're still buying the older spec. Right. Um, so that only goes up to 16 gig of RAM and has the um, seventh gen processors. They've also divided it this time. I noticed that if you want the you know the highest of high spec, you've got to have the 15 inch. The 13 does not uh, allow you to have the the i9 uh, processor. Oh, interesting. I wonder if that's um, space and temperature and stuff. I, if it's anything, I suspect it's to do with temperature. Yeah, yeah therm, thermal um, requirements. But uh, overall, I thought they looked quite good. Uh, now with 32 gig of RAM, although I noticed to do that, they've had to go back down to is it DDR3 rather than the DDR4. Oh right, okay. Um, yeah. Well, that was part of the reason they couldn't have more than 16 gig of RAM. Right. Because the whatever it was they put in the last ones, so I think it's DDR4 doesn't support it. I think I think um, pros are the very sort of people who are going to make use of 32 gig. In all honesty, and I think my yeah. I think my uh, iMac in front of me has got eight in, and it's more than enough for me. But you know, oh, if yeah. you're someone who's doing lots and lots of stuff all at the same time, yeah, you're going to want plenty of memory. And particularly if you're doing graphical and uh, photo stuff, you're just going to need that yeah. extra memory. I mean, they also, of course, these new ones also support e uh, e GPU uh, boxes. Which Apple also announced. Uh, oh, that's the external from, graphic cards things. Yeah, the yeah. yeah, external graphics boxes, and uh, along with the uh, release of the new MacBook Pros, they announced um, the first 
first graphics box, I think. I forget it's from Black Magic or somebody. I didn't put it in the notes. Stupid. Oh, right. Um, okay. That sounds good. Anyway, if, if, you're, uh, if you're in need of that kind of uh, graphic processing, yes. then that's if all If you're in good. kind of that noise, I wonder if I put it in the, in the slack. Um, anyway, it's all over the web. You can't miss it. If you're interested in it, I'm sure you'll have no difficulty finding it. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, you know, about time, really, I think, is all you can say about that. It's eighth, eighth generation um, core processors. Um, um, I was hearing someone talking about keyboards, and um, <laughs> they, they said something like... Uh, um, so they're not saying it's it's a repair or a, and I thought well no of course they're not <laughs> no. they're not going what they're even saying if they've is made that, them better they're not going to say that's what they're doing they're... it says I believe they described it as an uh, a better uh, typing experience yes I was hearing and, someone say they were quieter than the the previous and they're ones. supposed to be quieter yeah. now I I did read read somewhere might have been um, I more or I fix it I can't remember who said that what they found was that the they detected that the click was not necessarily actually lower in decibels but it was at a slightly different pitch oh right okay which makes it apparently you know less annoying to the human ear but the uh there's all sorts of things you know about uh, the human ear that's quite interesting i mean you uh, you know that i'm a musician and, and i play the church organ um and yep. one of the things you learn very early on is if you want to accent something you know sort of make something a little bit louder um for a particular note you can't do that on the organ because when you press the note the pipe sounds and that's the end of it uh yeah it's not like you, a piano but you is can it? Fool there's no <laughs> into thinking there's an accent by very fractionally delaying the entry of the note uh, right which is interesting it and I, I guess this is the same sort of thing you know if yeah. if you change the angle that a pitch a little then it, it just fools the ear into thinking that it's significant significantly quieter mm. well the other thing of course is um digital trends say that uh in a teardown what they found is that there is a thin silicon sheet that was not there before Oh. That has been inserted under the keyboard, underneath the switches, I think, or maybe it's just directly under the keyboard. It wasn't precise. Which uh, Apple are saying is there to soften the end of the travel of the key and to help deaden the sound. But I think most people's immediate thought is, and what is the main reason you put a silicon skin on a keyboard? <laughs> it's to keep it's those to crumbs stop. out. <laughs> it's to stop craft getting on your keyboard isn't it it's is prevent ingress of things that should not be yeah used. i'm the worst i'm so, the worst person at work for eating my sandwiches over my keyboards so i dread to think what's yeah. growing in there <laughs> <laughs> well i used i used to hate the um the worst apple keyboard of all time was the one i called the crumb tray oh right which was the <laughs> the, the white white buttoned where they uh, removed all the case that, but so the uh, you know the body of the keyboard was that clear perspex travel oh i know what you mean yeah and it had the old-fashioned you know long travel keys it was the worst keyboard of all time actually that apple put out in my opinion and it was clear and you could see all the gruff that was in it yeah <laughs> <laughs> You can see all the crumbs and bits of fluff and other gunge that had accumulated in there. Very unpleasant. Anyway, uh, so Apple are not saying that this uh, silicon sheet is there to prevent the keys from misbehaving, but most people seem to think that that probably is why it's really there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can imagine it would help uh, soften the end of the travel, although there's so little travel in those butterfly keyboards, you'd hardly think you'd notice. Yeah. 
Oh, but they'd got to do something, hadn't they? Because there was so much fuss about it one way or another. Uh, oh yeah. So Definitely. whatever I'm sure, whatever they've done will uh, will improve it. Um, so because they don't. I suspect by by not claiming that it's a fix, then if it doesn't work as well as they hope, it's not the end of the world. Well, and, I mean, if you come out and say, if you if you if they had said it was a fix, they're, they're opening themselves up for all sorts of uh, litigation, saying, well, if you're fixing it, there was something wrong with the previous one, so fix that. Well, there's that. Plus, of course, if you say we've done this and it will improve things, and it doesn't. And you're also opening yourself up <laughs> to true. getting yeah. hammered, aren't you? Um, to go along with that, uh, I've got a link here. Mac Rumors have got a link to Apple outlines the 2018 MacBook Pro repair options and parts availability. Um, well, if you've just rushed out and bought a 2018 MacBook Pro right now, uh, this explains what your repair and parts availability options are. So there you go. Um, well, it's good they've launched at the same time. I was watching something yesterday where someone was complaining that they are having trouble getting their um, Mac, uh, not MacBook, uh, I, um, iMac Pro repaired. And uh, it, it, one of the problems they had was re- dealers not having the repair manuals and things, which was a bit, seemed a bit strange. So perhaps, they, yeah. perhaps they're getting them out early this time to make sure there's no uh, no. Com- say here, Apple says the new 13-inch MacBook Pro with touch bar has a new power adapter, replacements available late July, a 61-watt, according to Apple's website, and the external design appears to remain the same, though potential changes may be internal. Keycap kits will be available from mid-August. Um, yeah, hopefully they will need be needed less as the MacBook Pro 2018 has a thin silicon barrier underneath the key, which they believe is to prevent dust and other particulates from causing keys to stick, repeat, or function inconsistent. Yeah. But Apple says to uh, help cushion the... Well, it's, it's probably both, in all honesty. I'm sure it is both. Yeah. I mean, um, other service parts available in late September. So if you buy a new one, <laughs> don't break down before September, all right? <laughs> Yeah, I would, hope, might not I would be hope that if I part. seriously damaged it within the first few weeks, they'd just replace it. <laughs> just replace it, yeah. Yeah, I know. Anyway, there we go. Uh, well, you would hope, wouldn't you, if if, uh, if you had a brand spanking new somewhere between two and £6,000 worth of laptop and something went wrong with it, they'd just go, here's another one. Yeah, yeah, you would, you would do. I'm not sure they're quite as prone to doing that as they once were, but uh, from what I've heard... Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've, have I ever had, taken anything back? Yes, I had an iPhone that wouldn't connect to Wi-Fi. It was one of the early ones. I think it was probably a three G air. And it, I think the only one I did have an iPhone that went that went like internet blind. It became completely blind to the. Oh right, well, this just wouldn't connect to my Wi-Fi, and I, I took it to. Um, I didn't actually buy it from Apple at the time. If you remember, there were other there were other um, uh, phone distributors that were yeah. distributing them at the time. And oh, I think it might be like O2. Yeah, I think it was like O2. I don't think I've ever bought mine from Apple, actually. I think I've always bought mine from the oh, right, phone okay. carrier. So I, I took it back to Apple, um, and the guy looked at it, and he said, well, I can't even connect to our Wi-Fi network. And he said, if I can't connect to that, there's definitely something wrong with it. So uh, <laughs> he, he disappeared into the back and brought me a new one out, well, another one out, and said, uh, there yeah. you go. It was as, there you go. Yeah, as quick as that. Problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> um, iMore have a piece here called uh, Apple is back in classic pro mode and we're getting new Macs to prove it, uh, which was an interesting read. Um, I can't say I agree with all of it, but uh, it's worth a read if you're interested in that. They're basically, uh, you know, what they say here, new 32 gig, 4 terabyte MacBook Pro, uh, 18 core Xeon iMac Pro, 
new modular Mac Pro and Pro Display on the way. They're definitely definitely aiming it at the pro level, aren't they? I mean, most most people of my <laughs> most people with my salary wouldn't be able to afford most of them, in all honesty, uh, unless no. you saved for quite a long time. But um, yeah, I, yeah, there's, de- there's definitely um, they've had a lot of criticism, haven't they, over the last few years? Well, but I think they've not been paying you know, attention to the pros. So I, I think the the prob the problem there wasn't it was that we all know that the Mac Pro was not really what pros wanted. Um, as smart as it was when it came out, and everybody was ooh look look, uh, but it wasn't really what pros wanted. Uh, then they found you know they made a big gamble. They took a really big gamble on the kind of multiple GPU uh, road and distributed GPU processing. Yeah, on that model and. Um, it just didn't happen. The industry didn't. <laughs> no, the industry didn't go that way. Uh, Nvidia and uh, uh, who are the other ones? Anyway, they all went on the no. Let's just make bigger and more ludicrously ramped up GPUs. It, ju- um, it just proves, doesn't it? It doesn't matter how good you are at um, um, gauging the the um, what's the word I'm after the the mood in, in the mood yeah the mood of the industry yeah, yeah. The, sometimes the kind of general it's the of of, uh, of the uh, people get it wrong sometimes yeah well that basically Apple and Apple have said that that they they gambled heavily on uh, GPUs moving to multiple GPUs or mul- you know multiple uh, processor GPUs and I- using multi-threading and that wasn't what happened the the yeah. big you know, the big GPU boys said, no, we're going to go down the um, more cores and I also wonder more heavy I also, GPU. I also wonder whether I, I seem to see more Apple kit being used in businesses these days. And I, I, I wonder whether they're playing to that as well. The fact that a, a larger proportion now than used to buy, especially as they push, keep pushing the prices up. Um, yeah, uh, that that th- they're actually catering more for all those business people who want a NASI laptop, basically that does lots of powerful stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I've looked at this, and uh, you know, I looked at I looked at the new new MacBook Pros, and and they're lovely. You know, they really are. But the, even the level at which I'd want to buy in is going to set me back two grand. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, they are. Um, and unfortunately, because you look at the base spec, and it, you go, all right, well, that's fifteen hundred quid. That's you know. But then you go right. Well, like I need more. I need more SSD in it than that. I want at least five twelve SSD, and I want to future proof it by putting some more RAM in it. And then all of a sudden, oh wow, that's like two thousand two hundred pounds. Yeah, it's always um, it's one of the things that's always annoyed me a little bit about Apple. I, I understand that they've got to have some way of generating um, income from by differentiating their the models with the different amounts of RAM and SSDs and and whatever. But I've just always found it a little bit irritating how they um, they make a good profit off everything. So if you do add an SSD, it doesn't go up by the cost of an SSD in a little bit. It goes up by oh, no. it goes up by at least double. It's like two hundred pounds yeah. to take a step up. You know, uh, to take a step up on the on the SSD ladder is two hundred pounds. You know, and to, that's always. Go... I mean, even from the very beginning. So my very first iMac was a two thousand and seven twenty four inch. And I had a look at it and I thought, okay, I can stretch to buying that and I'm definitely going for it. 
And then I looked at the memory and how much they were charging for it, and I thought, and I'm not paying that for memory. <laughs> no. Uh, well, even of course, now, you, but at least in those days, you could you could buy yes. it with the minimum spec. Yes, and, and fit you it could, yourself, uh, which, of course. You know, and it had a little door in the bottom or whatever, and you could, or in the back, depending on which model it was, and you could you know, order your RAM from Brucial and stick it in, and it would have cost you a quarter of what Apple would charge you to upgrade it. But yep. now, these Macs, are, most of them, are just, you know, they're just not, you can't. And the laptop's even worse. And I've if never, you don't buy it up front, you're stuck. I've never really bought into this idea, and I've heard other people on other podcasts talk about it, that because they're so thin, they've had to do this. Uh, they're clever designers. <laughs> if they wanted to have RAM that you could add yourself, they could do it without spoiling the design of their of their. I kit. really, yeah, I don't, I don't buy that. I'm afraid, no. I don't buy that. No, I don't. RAM forever in laptops is a little thing the size of two postage stamps, isn't it? That you basically insert flat. Yes. Even with the clips, you know, even it, what's how thick is it? Two, three mil? No, rubbish. Sorry, don't buy that at all. <laughs> there, there's no. I don't buy into that. And the same, that and the same for hard drives, it. really. I'm, I'm, when you look at the amount of space they have in some of these bits of kitten, I know they've used up a lot of the space with battery because that's always an issue with the uh, with devices you're carrying around. You want the best battery you can get. But I sometimes think that, you know, would it really have made that much difference if they'd say, well, actually, this one's got nine hours of battery life, not ten. But but you can change your hard drive up for yourself by just slotting it in this slot. Mm. Putting it in, yeah, I yeah, know. But I know that's not Apple. Uh, I know they're never going to do that. <laughs> never, you, know, you know, they've gradually closed that down, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, it used to be that you could take the, you know, on the old ones, you lifted the keyboard up and you changed the RAM and then you had the old ones, the old iMacs had a, a little door you undid and you could change the RAM. Um, I obviously recently at work, as I've said before, got a new 27-inch uh, 5K iMac um, and I had to argue the toss you know, with the management about why I should get a 27 inch and not a 24 inch. Um, and what swung it in the end was on that model, the 27 inch has a user accessible RAM door yeah. on the back um, and the 24 inch does not. And therefore we could buy the 27 inch with the minimum RAM spec and then buy the RAM from Crucial and put in and the difference you know what we saved on buying the RAM made the difference between the 24 and the 27. Having said all of that, um, and, and, and I think it's most prevalent for professional users. Um, having said that, for the average user, um, I, I never find myself running into problems with eight gig of RAM. So, uh, oh, no, no, so for I the mean, average got... user, I think you know what Apple gives us is probably more than sufficient. But it's I just find it annoying that they, if you want to say I. You know, I expect this machine to last me, you know, five or six years. And I suspect that RAM um, demands of software over that time will increase. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd like to future proof it by going to 16. I, I really, I kind of begrudge being charged £200 for what I know I can buy online for about 50 <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah. But there we go. That's Apple, and we just have to kind just of have suck to live it up, with this. Really, yes, that's right. Or 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 don't buy it. I mean, I suppose or don't buy it. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, or buy something secondhand. That's the other option. Uh, and a lot of okay. people say, you know, I've had this Mac for uh, seven years. Well, they probably have because replacing it is very expensive. Uh, and oh, the fact my, is, you know, they last that long. So why not? They do. I mean, my MacBook Pro is a bit uh, about this Mac. Uh, 20, I think it's a late mid 2012. Yeah, this one. Yeah, I've, so, I think I've got a. You know, I think I, I think my um, 
I've got a MacBook Air, which I don't use very much, in all honesty. Uh, I think that's 2012, or it might be 2011. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, my uh, the machine I was using at work, which you know, until I replaced, you know, got the management to replace it with the 20, you know, the 2017 27 inch 5K was uh, the 24 inch 2011 iMac. Uh-huh. So you know, we don't. We might be professional users, but we certainly, you know, expect to stretch the life uh, of our machines as far as possible. Absolutely. Yeah, my 24-inch mm-hmm. has been uh, – so I, before this, I had um, – this. I've got a 21-inch at the moment. Uh, but before I had this, I had uh, a Mac Mini, which I really loved. Uh, and before that, I had an iMac, a 24-inch iMac, which got re- which got sold on to a friend at work who's still using it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, these machines – we often overestimate how much um, power we really need. Yes, I'll be honest. Yeah. It's like looking at you know looking at well, I don't want a space spec. I should have. I think I should add more RAM and bigger hard drive, and I want a better processor. And really, do you really? I bet you probably don't. And a lot, of, a, a lot <laughs> of the people who are doing um, podcasts, particularly video podcasts, are, are, are going to be doing video editing anyway, which which, yeah. which needs the power in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so they're always going to want you know more because but it, processing then, video takes time <laughs> yes it does but even then uh, i suspect you'd find that 16 gig would you know sure if you're a professional 3d animator you know you need absolutely every ounce of juice you can yeah. bring out of a machine but you know, if you're a if you're a hobby video podcaster i'm sure you 16 or 24 gig or something would be more than that. Yeah, and it depends on what a prof- you're a professional in, of course. <laughs> well, yes, it does, yeah. You know. Anyway, uh, the other the other Apple story, or, you know, purely Apple story this week, Nick, uh, Apple's iPhone 6 had the highest failure among, uh, rate amongst iPhones, but the Samsungs are worse uh, from the next web. And uh, I read this, and I'll, I'll be honest, it was a bit of a... You don't say. Oh, right. A bit um, of clickbait. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's interesting, right? The uh, top 10 iOS failure rates by model. iPhone 6, 22%. Uh, that's not great, but that's, uh, what, four to five-year-old phone? Yeah. I mean, and this is by this is quarter one. So I'm assuming that this is not uh, over overall lifetime, right? So the iPhone 6 is a five-year-old model. <clears throat> Apparently had a failure rate of twenty-two percent. Now, now listen to this: six S sixteen percent, six S plus nine percent, six plus eight percent, iPhone seven eight percent, seven plus seven, five S five percent, which was, is a little bit of an anomaly, I thought. Yeah. Uh, but the iPhone ten three percent, iPhone eight plus three percent. Uh, then again. I mean, the 5S is at 5%. As I say, a bit of an anomaly, that one. But then again, the 5S isn't as old as it appears, is it? Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's the, it's the six guts, isn't it? Stuffed into a... Yeah. Or, yes. was it the five, uh, or was it the 5S? I, I don't think know. it was. Anyway. I think it was. I think you're right. I think it was the six guts in a... In, in a anyway, yeah. what, whatever. It, it, I was unsurprised because the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, obviously, were the first big screen... Um, right. You know, models of of that chassis, which has basically then gone through the six sevens. Yeah, it's, in, it's six, interesting. Six, to look, seven, it's interesting to look at these eight. kind of figures, um, uh, sort of dispassionately, really, and just just look at them for what they are. Um, one of the nice things about Backblaze, 
is that um, if you're on their mailing list, every now and then, I suppose once a year, they put out a failure rate for all their hard drives, and they've got rather rather a lot of them. Oh, yes. that's uh, yeah. And, and, and they'll come up we've with mentioned conclusions them in the like, you know, the 8-gigabyte ones aren't as reliable as the 4-gigabyte ones, or the 16-gigabyte ones are actually more reliable than the 8-gigabyte ones, and, mm. and all that sort of stuff. And they do it by manufacturer and... Um, it it gives you a good overview of just how reliable things are. Yeah, I norm I do normally link to that because I always find that fascinating. It is. Uh, I suppose in some ways this is a similar sort of thing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. iPhone sixes are a few years old, so some of them are going to go wrong, and perhaps just perhaps they 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 weren't made quite as well, or they had a component that fails more easily. Well, I, I think one of the such a large number of these things. I think that the point there is that the 6 was the first generation of a chassis that then went on to be the 6S, 7, the 8. Yeah. Um, and it was the first iteration of that ultra-thin, very large screen. Um, unsur- and it's now, well, what, five? I think it's five years old now. And unsurprisingly, I would... That doesn't really surprise me that an older first generation machine, you know, is failing more than a later iteration. No, that's no, so um, not actually telling you anything you didn't know, but sometimes it, no, sometimes it tells it's me nice some, to have it, it confirmed. <laughs> it's interesting to see that the iPhone 6 does have a high failure rate. Yeah. Higher. Um, higher. Yeah. <laughs> and Android phones uh, were almost commonly plagued by general performance issues, failures of camera, microphone, and battery. Um, Samsung ha- handsets failed at a higher rate than all other Android phones, and Samsung devices had a failure rate of 27.4%. Gosh. A rate which is higher even than the worst iPhone, which was released, according to this, released four years ago. Right. Uh, so that's a lot, isn't it? That's, that's, that's pretty... You've got um, every fourth customer poor. coming back and saying, oh, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Um, and no, I'm not reveling in that as a, oh, well, that makes, you know, I'm just saying they're pointing out here that actually, just in case, you know, while we might be criticising 22% in a four-year-old phone, um, Samsung are not even doing as good as that. And considering the number they sell as well, that's going to be a huge number. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And I, I, this is purely anecdotal, I have to say, but people I know with Android phones, um, and not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about these cheap ones from um, some company you've never heard of. Yeah. Um, I know people who've had uh, Sony, you know, top uh, Xperia phones, uh, people with uh, Samsung phones, people with LG phones. When they break or go wrong, getting somebody to deal with it is nightmarish. Yeah, because they haven't just got one place to go to, have they? That's the problem. And what they get, most of them, is, oh, well, that's, you know, you need to go back to the seller or that, you know, it just gets ping-ponged backwards and forwards. Nobody wants to, no one wants to deal with it. Yeah. So actually getting warranty repairs uh, can often be hellish. So if you're lucky, you actually have one that's okay. I mean, my, uh, not my last phone, but a couple of iterations ago, I had an HTC, um, HTC One, I think it was. Um, Okay. And my colleague has it now and he's still using it quite regularly. So so if you're unlucky then you're probably going to be more unlucky I mean, than if when, you, um, you uh, own an Apple one. Yeah, two two guys at work had LG G5s, I think they were called. Oh, yeah. And they both and they both failed, and they both had exactly the same problem, and they both had a great deal of difficulty getting it resolved. And in the end, they both bought iPhones. Interesting. <laughs> there Not we go. Not surprising, but um, interesting. <laughs> no, but why did they buy, you know, they? I think one of them had had an iPhone before and had changed. Um, 
I think I think the he, truth is there were quite a lot of us because I went over to uh, I had an LG G4, uh, so I had the HTC HTC last I think, and I had the LG. Oh no, it was the other way around. I had an LG G4 after that. Um, but the fact is, the only reason I went uh, to the dark side, as it were, um, was because they hadn't got a large iPhone. And I wanted a larger phone. I mean, yeah, I've got was... a 7 Plus now, and uh, and I love it. I like the size of it. it. It works well for me, and that's what I wanted. So, yeah, I did go over to Android for a while. And, you know, experience isn't that bad, really. Um, no, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not an Android hater, no, and I never have am I, been. Neither am I. But, but, I must the, admit, but yeah. the things I hear, it's the niggly things yeah. that you hear that think, mm, well, you know. And It is, and when I came back to the iPhone again, when, once they were making larger phones, um, it felt like coming home, I must admit. Even though I'd loved, think... even though I'd really enjoyed the change, it really felt like coming back, coming home, coming back to Apple again. <laughs> yeah, I I think that is the big thing. I'm I'm pretty sure that the big, you know, the lack, and all the analysts have said this that the lack of a big screen phone when everybody else was going big screen uh, did hurt Apple a lot. That is where a lot of people did, you know, take the plunge and and jump over to a, a Samsung or an LG or, or whatever to get a bigger screened phone. Yes, but um, I think a lot of them in the end you know, came back again as soon as Apple, uh, you know, which is why the six apparently was such a huge seller. Well, I must admit, one of the things I do like, um, I, um, I can't afford a 10, in all honesty, until they become secondhand and a lot cheaper than they are now. But, um, or, I don't know, it's not so much I can't afford it. I, I, I can't justify it. I can't justify yeah, it. So, Same as me. Uh, so, you know, I'm not prepared to spend that sort of money. But I do, like, not. I do like the fact that it's actually got a, you know, it's, it, the, the rim of it is quite small. Um, because when you look at the 7s and the 8s, and the, they've still got quite big. Um, tops and bottoms to them and the things i did like about having the androids were both of them were almost all screen uh and i did like that i must admit so uh, maybe a 10 eventually <laughs> yeah well you know i mean rumors 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 i know but um you know the, the rumor mill is predicting that this year all the phones will effectively be you know 10-esque however they are named or numbered yes um and some of them will be considerably cheaper than you know the thousand pound model. So okay, I'll look out for that. <laughs> we that, that is that the rumor. Of, yeah, yeah, that is the rumor, of course. Um, well, I'll tell you what, Nick. Why don't we take a break and let John Nemo do his hardware store, and we can fill up our cup of tea, and then we can come back and look at some of the other stores. Some software, indeed. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> right, jolly good. All right, John, take it away. There is an audio gear and accessory company called Brainwaves. That's B-R-A-I-N-W-A-V-Z. Brainwaves Audio. And their website is brainwavesaudio.com. B-R-A-I-N-W-A-V-Z-A-U-D-I-O.com. They sent us two headphone accessories. The first one is called the Truss. T-R-U-S-S. And when you look at it from one direction, it looks like one of those new prefab truss frames that you see on new home construction. But when you turn it the other way around, there is a 3M sticky pad that you pull the cover off and you stick to the bottom of your desk or table, and then you can hang two pairs of headphones on it. It's the Truss Dual Headphone Hanger for $18 US. 
from Brainwaves Audio. Very straightforward. Just realize when you stick this baby on your desk, it's a one-way trip. The adhesive is very, very strong. You can get it off, but you will need to use a different type of glue or adhesive the second time because once it sticks, it stays stuck. It's all heavy-duty metal, beautifully built. It'll actually live longer than your house, than the trusses in your house. It's built to last forever times three. So you stick this underneath your desk or table, wherever you want your headphones to reside, and you can hang two sets of headphones if they are the traditional type with a headband, or you can hang any number of earbuds with the smaller cables. So have a look on our website at EssentialApple.com for the links and the pictures of the Truss Dual Headphone Hanger from Brain Waves Audio. Again, $18. From the same company also comes the Hengya or Hengja. I guess it's meant to be like Hanya. H-E-N-G-J-A. Hengja or Hengya Brainwaves Audio Adjustable Headphone Hanger. This is for a single pair of headphones with a traditional headband or again, several pairs of earbuds. Unlike the first one, this does not use an adhesive. It uses an adjustable screw, a really heavy-duty screw. So you can clamp this onto any table or chair, anywhere, horizontal or vertical, because it comes with an adjustment tool to help you screw it in place and also to help you rotate the part where the headphones reside. You must see it on the website. This is only $15 U.S., so you can get both of these or either of these for very, very low cost. They will outlive you, your house, and your headphones by many generations. So look at the website for the Hengja and the Truss. Have a look at these as ways to place your headphones in a stylish, elegant, and secure location, either portable for the single-purpose Hengja or the dual-headphone-purpose Truss. Nemo's Hardware Store, back next week. Thank you, John. And, of course, all the links and the prices for that will be in the show notes. Well, Nick, uh, there's still so many stories left. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Right. Um, we'll, we'll skate over some of them, I think, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about most of them, I think. Uh, anyone take your fancy to start with? Uh... Well, let's talk. Let's talk about um, let's talk about serif and their stuff. To start with, shall we? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, well, yes. The the big news of the week, of course, was Affinity have released designer for iPad. Um, and I've I put their press release on the website, so uh, there's a link to that. Um, yes, they've released designer for iPad. Now, I'm not quite sure from their description whether it was for iPad Pro only because obviously a lot of it's about pencil support yeah. um and at the moment they have a launch discount of 30 percent. so at the moment you can buy affinity designer for ipad for an introductory price of 14 pounds in the uk that's pretty good um yeah but do hurry if you want it because it ends the 25th of july um what does it say? You uh, Affinity Designer for iPad has been fully tailored to harness the explosive power of the iPad's cutting-edge technology. From advanced graphics processing to the latest iOS functionality and precision dynamics of the Apple Pencil. Um, so again, it still doesn't actually say there whether it's for iPad Pro only, or but I guess you would be able to find that out uh, from the website. Yes. And yeah. um, 
I don't really want to talk about it too much, Nick, because on Thursday, I have the CEO of Serif Affinity um, coming on the show to talk to me, and uh, I will obviously talk to him about all about that and uh, several other things I'd like to know about Affinity uh, and the history of the UK Serif company. Yes, cool. That will be very interesting. And, uh, yes, I'm looking forward to that. We were talking earlier about the fact that I've owned some of uh, Serif stuff when it was PC only. Uh, yeah, well, I've I've used uh, I've used Sarah's stuff for years on on Windows. It's uh, and recommended it endlessly to people. <laughs> yeah, so excellent because uh, their... that should be really good. I look forward to hearing that. Yeah, that would be good. Um, so uh, and also it seems to be a bit of a photo slash uh, iPad week. Uh, Sky Luminar uh, have released an update bringing many improvements, new camera support, and so on. And Digital Photo Review has got a review there. Uh, link in the show notes. Um, well, I don't. There's not really a lot to say about that. Is it? if you're an, a, a uh, you know a Luminar user, then you you know you will know. Uh, we've had Skylum on the show a couple of times now to talk about their product. And uh, so, new version has been released as uh, was uh, promised, but still apparently not the digital asset management. Yeah, right. But he did he did say September or, or autumn, didn't he? On the show, he said it would be uh, this year yes. and probably in the fall. So no digital asset management yet, folks. But, you know, he promised us it was coming. Um, And I there was a tweet here which uh, Alistair, Alistair Jenks, uh, re- retweeted, which is what brought it to my... Uh, Luminar can also be used as a plug-in for Affinity Photo. There you go. Yeah. So, you know, two... Uh, Two Photoshop competitors that can actually be used in tandem, uh, if you want to do that. And so, how do the how how do these plugins work? I, I, I mean, not being a a graphical sort of person. Uh, well, what what they tend to do is allow you to access the functionality modules inside one application from another. Oh, right. Okay. So, if there's a particular so, tool you want to use that isn't available in Affinity Photo, yeah. then you can use Luminar's well, bit. <laughs> yeah, for example, I mean, um, I mean, Affinity Photo is very much um, is very much a Photoshop competitor, yeah, and designed very much for photo manipulation and so on. I know there's always a crossover between digital darkrooms and uh, photo editors per se. Yes. But they, they do do somewhat slightly different things. And, of course, Luminar has a whole load of things like its AI, um, you know, auto-adjusting features and it has a, some really fabulous ways of brightening up pictures. And Yeah, that sounded really um, cool when you when you interviewed him. <laughs> yeah. So those you can bring some of that, if you know, if, if you've got Luminar, you can bring that in to, rather than having to save your picture halfway through, export it, take it to Luminar, do something else, export it, bring it back into Affinity. You know, you can, you can access the, um, by using plug-in technology, in the same way as um, you get things that plug into iMessage now. Yes, yeah. Or um, all those kind of widgets that you, you can have. It, it's that kind of, that's what it does. It allows you to use the functionality of one application inside another. That's good. Um, yeah, so there we go. Good to see that um, you know Luminar and Affinity, who are both Photoshop competitors, of course, are working together to some extent there because, uh, as uh, as Alex from Luminar said, you know, um, we're more of a Lightroom replacement than an you know than a Photoshop. Yeah, and of course, uh, and Affinity uh, very much is a, a Photoshop replacement. Yes, and of course, Adobe isn't sitting on their hands either because it appears that they're building a, f- yeah. a full version of Photoshop for iPad. 
allegedly, mm-hmm. uh, Mac Observer have uh, I got this one from Adobe building full of version of uh, iPad Photoshop. A uh, bit late, if you want my honest opinion. Uh, they're not releasing it until next year. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's yeah. late. Um, <laughs> that is late, and I'll be honest. On mobile, Adobe have been faffing around for years with kind of cut down versions of bits of their software. Um, you know, there's no there's no Illustrator for iPad. There's a sort of illust sort of Adobe Illustrator ish light right. thing, and um, they had they had various photo um, apps, but none of them were really you know none of them were the whole deal. They're, I wonder what's made bits. them. I wonder what's made them go for this. Is it simply that they feel that they're powerful enough to to run Photoshop? Or of something that's very Photoshop-like on the iPad? I suspect that the iPad Pro has something to do with it. Yeah. But I also suspect that Adobe are waking up to the fact that people, you know, people like Skylum and Affinity and and, um, several others, I'll be honest, are beginning probably to take their market share. Yeah. Yes, lots of of sales is always going to drive you. That's always going to be. Yeah. It is. Um, You know, I... I'm not sure Adobe were convinced that the iPad was really going to make a big dent in there. You know, I don't think they thought, I don't think they necessarily grasped how something like the iPad or the iPad Pro uh, might track a lot of creatives. Yeah, I, 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 um, think, I think a lot of people underestimated the iPad generally. Um, I mean, I use my iPad quite a lot for music and for um, sheet music, that is. Um, and it's just brilliant for that, uh, and and the tools available on the iPad. There's there's nothing else out there like it. Uh, what? No, that's no. not strictly true. There are one or two others, but there are, in my opinion, um, graphically and and user wise, there is nothing to match the iPad for that. Um, no, and I, I think they, and I think you know, I really do think. That, I mean, Affinity, you know, Affinity Photo when it came out, you know, I mean that won awards almost straight away. It won universal acclaim. And they didn't really waste any time uh, getting an Affinity photo for iPad out. Um, and then when the iPad Pro, I think it may have been when the iPad Pro came along, but, you know, with pencil support so that you could, you know, you could do all sorts of things in uh, Affinity Photo on iPad. Well, there's probably a lot of people out there who would really like to be able to take something that is of a similar power to Photoshop, but with them in a device that is light and easy to carry around and doesn't yeah. involve having to plug it into the mains all the while and <laughs> all those sort of things, yeah. all the advantages um, of mobile device stuff. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the thing with Adobe as well is ever since Creative Cloud being subscription-based is, it, you know, if you're paying the subscription, then obviously you have access to all of Adobe's product, yeah. but it's not a cheap hobby. No, now, if you're professional, uh, you know, if you're a professional, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, if you're a professional and you're using that technology to, to make money, then it's simply a business investment. Yes. But for, for, but for pretty much everybody else, Adobe have shut, you know, most non-professional users out because people do not want to pay 20, 30, 40 pounds a month to be able to use that software. And, and I, I, this is where Affinity came along and said, you know, no, we're not doing a subscription. We're not going to go down that road. We are going to turn out you know, a professional quality, um, you know, Adobe challenging apps, and we're going to sell them to you for, I don't know, 40, 50 quid. I mean, as you say, that the this designer for iPad, I mean, the full price is only 20 pounds. 
Yes, which is, uh, well, it's ridiculously cheap in comparison to uh, Adobe, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so Adobe is building a full version of Photoshop, right? Uh, you know, for the iPad. Well, good. About time. Um, I'm sure some people will be very happy about that. But yeah. uh, we'll wait and see, we'll I, wait and see how good it is. <laughs> we will. We will. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't know. There we go. Um, and we were talking about Backblaze and their uh, their yearly hard hard drive failure review. Yes, which is always very interesting. Um, on their blog this week, they had uh a backup awareness survey um which apparently right computer backup awareness 2018 is getting better and worse um back in june 2008 backblaze launched uh, the first backup awareness survey um and then it says here that every year since we've commissioned the people at harris poll to conduct a survey um and we've asked a simple question how often do you back up the data on your computer um well they've got the charts here uh, the people who never back up has has uh, fallen from about forty percent to about twenty five percent, and the people who back up yearly, monthly, weekly, uh, and daily have um, either steadily ridden. Daily, bizarrely, got better and then has dropped off in the last year or so. Mm. I wonder how much of that is to do with cloud. Uh, possibly. You know, um, if you start putting a lot of your stuff in the cloud, you probably don't feel the need to. Uh, the number of people who back up monthly has basically steadily increased. Although, yeah, nearly all of them have fallen back in in the last two to three years. So they were sort of climbing steadily till about 2015 or 16, and then they've dropped back in the last couple of years, which is why they're saying it's getting better and better, yeah. uh, better and both better and worse. Overall, more people back up, and the people who never back up has steadily uh, decreased. That's That's good. really good news. But uh, I suppose the downside is that one in four people still risk losing everything, that they, <laughs> all their digital yeah. assets, all their digital life. <laughs> I mean, they've got they've got a pie chart here. Uh, in two thousand and eight, the number of people who said they never backed up was thirty five percent. Twenty eighteen, it's down to twenty four. Um, at the other end, the number of people who back up daily is steady at six percent. Um, I that doesn't actually surprise me. Because I suspect oh, I even wouldn't. ten years ago, the pe- the sort of people who feel the need that they cannot afford to lose any data at all are the same people like me who still can't afford to lose. I, I, any I data wonder at if all. Um, I wonder if it depends on who they're asking the questions to, doesn't it? I I, I wonder if that qu- question is couched correctly when they're actually asking it. Because mm. if you say to most people, "Do you back up daily?" they'll say no. I, uh, I'd no, probably I the... say I wouldn't back up daily, except that well, I have no, what, no. running. <laughs> so I do. No, they see what, uh, no, what they say here. They do say what the question oh, is. Right. It says, um, right, because they ask Harris Poll to do it, so I assume they just do a standard, um, you know. Uh, they've got a link in here, apparently, so you can look at the methodology. Oh, right. Um, right. Computer backup frequency. When asked the question, how often do you back up all the data on your computer? So people, people I assume, just gave a, their own answer, and Harris Poll have broken it down into this daily, weekly, monthly. Okay, I think... So people were not asked to... Uh, I think most people would you know, see that as actually doing a, like, almost like a clone overnight kind of thing. Maybe. Um. Anyway, there we go. I thought I found that quite interesting. The pe- people who back up yearly, which to me strikes me as way, way, way too infrequently, uh, have, was 20%, now it's 26%, which... Strikes me as going in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, Do you know the um, 
uh, we were talking before the show about um, uh, my old 24-inch iMac and how I sold it on to someone at work. Um, the reason I sold it on to him was because he owned a, a really old, an old, an even older Mac than that beforehand. Uh, and he came to me one day and he said, uh, Nick, my computer keeps freezing. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, all sorts of things. But usually I'm on the web because that's, you know, I use it a lot for that. And I said, and when you say freezing, you mean, uh, he says, well, freezing so that I have to reboot it. And I said to him, is it making clicking noises? And he said, yes, it is. <laughs> and I said, have you got a backup? He said, Have you got he the... said, no. And so I, <laughs> next day I turned up with a memory stick and said, get back it up, up now. Get up now. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. Anything. To save it to back, back it up now. Back it up now. So there we go. Um, what that actually says is there's still far too many people who are not paying attention to the endless advice of people like us, which is back up, back up, back up again. Yes, absolutely. And it, it, there really isn't any excuse now, is it? I mean, there are services like Backblaze. You've got Time Machine. You've got Well, I told someone at work about Cloud. it this week, and I said, you know, it's only a few. It's only two or three quid a week, uh, two, three, two or three quid a month, and you've got all that stuff backed up. You know, and, and then you've got services. If you're an Amazon subscriber, you know, they give you, I think it's unlimited photo storage space. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you can tell your iOS devices to send your camera roll directly to Amazon. Um, that, there's no excuse. Yeah, and if, if you really trust Google, ones. you can always have Google back up your photos as well. So, yeah, 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 if you're not, you know, if you're not... Um, I know, I know, I, let's face I know you it, don't love Google. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love them. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Google hater. No. Um, you know, I used Google for many, many years, uh, as I've said plenty of times. You know, I knew the um, I knew the terms and what I was getting into when I signed up. But gradually, over time, I became less comfortable yeah. as what they seemed to want to suck up seemed to become more and more. Whereas when I signed up originally, it was like, can we can we scan your inbox so that we can find out things that interest you, so we can advertise to you? And it gradually seemed to become expand into more and more things, and uh, and I started to feel uncomfortable. That's fair enough. But, you know, and I don't, you know, uh, if you don't mind and you're aware of what it is that you are allowing Google to do, yes. then that is absolutely fine. That's right. And my we only we thing all make is, a choice, know, don't we, over over how transparent we, well, no, not transparent, it's not the right word. Uh, we, we all make a decision about how much of our information we would like to be out there. Uh, and some yeah. of us, uh, I see myself as someone who is um, wary but quite happy to share quite a lot, really. Whereas if I look yeah. at someone like Bart, who he's not just wary, he's almost paranoid about it, and yeah. uh, in a good way. And I mean, I, I border somewhere between the two. Yes. Um, I've, I'm, not, I'm certainly not overly paranoid, um, but I've become much more wary over time. Yeah. I never trusted Facebook, and I've been proved right from the very word go because they consistently... Uh, seem to attempt to thwart people's um, privacy settings. Yes. Uh, they've done all sorts of things which I consider to be well below the belt. Um, Google occasionally, I think, have overstepped the line, but on the whole, you know, they're fairly upfront about what it is they want from you. As long as you're happy with that, that's not a problem. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like underhandedness. You know, if people, if you're happy to share, you know, and let's face it, if you want to put your pictures in Google Drive or whatever and they let you, or Google Photo Backup or whatever it is, you know, their their deal on that is we will scan your photographs and use it to train our AI in photo recognition. Yeah. And as long as you're happy with that. I suppose what you don't it, want is to some... It, uh, saying things up front's fine, 
but actually coming to someone after the fact and saying, oh, and by the way, we just happened to be sharing this. Yeah, um, it, it's exactly. The bit where you start to get a little bit wary. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I've never trusted uh, Facebook because they consistently seem to have attempted to move the goalposts without telling anyone. Yeah. Um, there we go. Uh, right. Uh, what else have we got? And we've got a couple of Microsoft stories. Um, I won't go into these too much. Uh, we've got Surface Book 2 is everything the MacBook Pro should be from Charged. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I've heard one or two people who really like the Surface Book. Yeah, well, I I don't. I've never seen one and I've never used one. Right? No, nor have um, I, so <laughs> I can't really judge. I can't really judge too, but on the whole, one thing I do know is that when Microsoft make hardware, they tend to make very good hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for many years... Even in the in the period when I really did not like Microsoft at all, there was one thing that you had to admit that they were good at, and they made very good mice. Yes, Microsoft yeah. have always made really good mice. Um, and a lot of people like their keyboards. Uh, their keyboards, I'm not so keen on, but they've always produced some really good mice. Um, I've only ever had one or two because obviously being an Apple man, but the ones I have had for PCs at work or whatever i've always found to be excellent so um there you go so i've no reason to uh suspect that the surface book 2 is uh any less good i mean it's got that uh weird bendy hinge hasn't mm. it that sort of um i don't know what you'd call it it's like an armadillo yeah it's sort of like intertwines doesn't it it's uh yeah, yeah it's like they slide inside each other when as you open it flat the the joints it's like um Reminds me a bit of a shower pipe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It does. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, that sort of that sort of thing. Anyway, uh, so there's a link there to the charged blog uh, explaining why they think that that is uh, everything the MacBook Pro should be. Um, I don't know if that came out before the MacBook Pro uh, 2018 announcement, mm. but uh, I suspect they probably have reasons why they think it's better. Um, there we go. Uh, and then apparently the Microsoft Surface Go at three hundred ninety nine dollars is its smallest tablet yet. Um, now, I was listening to Tech Pinions this morning, uh, which uh, it was uh, oh, it was Carolina Milanese and Bob O'Donnell, mm-hmm. and they were talking about the uh, you know, about this. Um, looks like a very nice piece of kit, I have to admit. If you go over to Engadget, look at the pictures. Uh, as they were saying, um, you know, the $399 price point is a bit of a lewa. Because if you want the full experience, you need the keyboard. That's more money. Yeah. You need the pencil. That's so it's more a, money. a bit like the yeah the previous Surface um, ones. But then again, you know, you know, I can't point the finger too much. If you buy an iPad Pro, you don't get a keyboard no, or, a, or a pencil. You know, so um, but it's here we go. The Surface Go. The, pic, the picture here of the Surface Go alongside of the Surface laptop. Um, yes, it's pretty small. Yeah. I, I don't know what is it. Te- I don't know. I, I'm, I can't see a size. Uh, anyway, it's a dinky little thing. Um, people people seem to really like their um, uh, their MacBook Air 11 inch ones. Yes, um, if you if you don't you know if you don't need screen estate. That's right. If you use it mostly for browsing, portability, and, and all that sort of stuff, and all those things, I think it's lovely. Uh, I think it's a wonderful little machine. Uh, you know, all these sort of ultra. I mean, they're almost they're almost the sort of spiritual um 
successes to the net company, yeah which the yeah. net the netbook you know i know it was a fad and everybody was on about the netbook and it was but uh, people say oh the pad you know the ipad killed the netbook or the ultra lightweight you know mini laptops here i'll be honest i think you'll find the smartphone killed the netbook yes i think that's true <laughs> The, you know, the, the iPad and these ultra lightweight things, they, they are the spiritual successors to netbooks, I think. But what actually killed netbooks as an idea was the smartphone, because all the things that you wanted to do on a netbook, you suddenly could do on a small piece of glass in your pocket. But there we go. Um, so if you're interested in uh, reading about either of those, there's links in the show notes. Uh, and they both look very nice. Don't get me wrong. Um, and Microsoft, I have to say, do make nice hardware. Um, yes it's just what, what often annoys me about that is often they make these you know they make some very nice either concept pieces or guide pieces and then um you know their quote unquote partners like As- uh, asus or uh, whoever and go and make a severely kind of compromised version thereof yeah i i, ju- I, I think quite often you know people um, will say, uh, oh, you can get a lot uh, a lot more powerful than a Mac uh, by spending a lot less. And uh, often just miss the point that the reason people love Macs is really the software on them. <laughs> yes, uh, and, and there is and, that. And, that's, and that it doesn't really matter that they're significantly cheaper uh, because if you can't run uh, Mac OS on it, then... Mm, it's, if you're a, if you're a Mac person, <laughs> it's hard to get across, yeah. isn't it? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, there was talk chatter in the in the Slack room earlier this week about you know Windows 10 and people saying you know Windows 10 is a lot better, you know. And the the general consensus there was yes, Windows is definitely better than older versions of Windows, but it's not Mac OS. Yes. Um. And yeah, I said you know quite freely, I don't mind. Uh. No, I don't mind Windows 10. I use it in a virtual machine at work. I use it quite a lot. I don't have a problem with it. I'm not sure I would want to change to it as my 100%. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Same here. My all the time. Uh, right. Well, we've been going quite a long time, Nick. So uh, what do we skim over here? Um, security. Uh, Apple released 11.4.1, blocking the passcode cracking tools by uh, turning on the USB restricted mode, which we've talked about in the past, of course. This is, Um, I I don't really know why these are stories, really, because in all honesty, we know it's going to bounce backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. They're going to find another way of stopping people getting in, and then someone else is going to find another way of getting in again. Uh, It's just what we've come to expect, isn't it, with the way things are? Yeah, I mean, the the thing here is The Verge are saying that uh, this, you know, the USB restricted uh, mode can be bypassed by plugging in a USB accessory, which, okay, that's fair enough. I can see how that works. If you seize a phone uh, in the golden hour and you plug something into it, uh, that prevents it effectively shutting down, uh, going into USB restricted mode. But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, that strikes me as a, a software thing. And, you know, I'm sure it won't take Apple long to put out a patch that kills that. Yeah, and it rather defeats the object. I mean, the Apple put in the uh, the lockout to stop people getting in after it's been locked out, and that's and they've achieved that. Mm. <laughs> Not to stop people who have uh, get in that, as you say, in that golden hour. Um, you know, that's the whole point it, of doing so, it that way. 
<laughs> what they're saying is yes. What they're saying is if you seize a, a phone which you wish to, you know, use get grey key or some other type of device, do on, it quick. You plug in it. <laughs> yeah. Do, well, but if you don't have it to hand, plug in some sort of USB accessory, and that will apparently block it. Uh, stop, stop the lockout. Oh, right. But I'm sure it wouldn't take Apple very long to uh, write a patch no, I'm to sure change it that. Um, we've got a cult of Mac. I've got a thing here, which the headline, I don't agree with this very much. Actually, It says, UK's big brother road signs watch for drivers using iPhones. Well, of course, they're not talking iPhones. Any phones. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, iPhones are not particularly, you know, um, but that's cult of Mac for you. Yeah. I do like cult of Mac, but they do sometimes like to... Uh, Exaggerate uh, Yeah, street signs watching for motorists using their phones are being tested in Britain, in Norfolk, in fact, by the way, uh, which is just up the road from me. Uh, uh, while, I, while I don't um, want to be spied upon, the fact is we shouldn't be using our phones, in which case this shouldn't be a problem because there shouldn't be anyone doing it. No. <laughs> well, you know, it's illegal in this country, yeah. as it says here, right? Uh, Britain is not alone in this effort. Australia is exploring using cameras to ticket motorists who are on their cell phones. Um, you know, robocop machines which can give traffic tickets are controversial. Uh, I've, I've never eh? quite understood. I mean, maybe it's because I'm an old old geezer, but uh, I've never quite understood why we get so upset about car stuff. I mean, the road rage and um, uh, the uh, the cameras and the... People seem to get so upset about it when you know if they if they just stuck to the law, <laughs> then, then there wouldn't be they wouldn't be bothering to have to spend the money to do it if if we just didn't break the law. And uh, I know that's not everyone's uh, opinion, but uh, being an no, old, I mean, old anyway. buddy duddy, it is mine. <laughs> I'm I'm certainly not one, you know, this is not a, this, I'm sorry, this is not Big Brother-esque at all, really. Uh, I don't see this as any worse than a speed enforcement camp. Yeah, yeah, it's the same sort of thing, um, isn't it? And they're saying there are limitations here. I mean, this is not, you know, this is not saying this has been rolled out secretly across the UK. This is no such thing. Um, there are obvious limitations. Uh, spokesman told the BBC, at current, the system cannot differentiate between the driver and the passengers on a bus, for example. Uh, so at the moment, this show, this this thing is not doing anything. Uh, it flashes up a, a do not use, you know, do not be using your phone. Yes, which you're not looking um, at because you're looking at your phone, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what does it say here? Uh, there's a thing here saying the camera. Oh, I've missed it now. Um, anyway, what it's saying is it, it's not using a camera to photograph you. Actually, I think it should be using a camera to photograph you. If you've got a phone clamped to your ear, then you're guilty. Sorry. Um, However, this is using a radio. Um, I, I think there's some um, mileage for car manufacturers to actually solve this problem because surely if they if they allowed you to plug your phone in but not allowed you uh, and to make calls via um, you know Bluetooth and all that sort of stuff, um, but as soon as you pick the phone up, the car cuts you off. Well, that yeah. would stop it, surely. <laughs> No, uh, the system being tested in Australia uses cameras. It says here, uh, this sign points an antenna at the road and it lights up if it detects a phone transmitting to the cell tower. It can tell if Bluetooth is also being used, which tells it not to act. Oh, right, okay. So at the minute, it's like those signs that flash up saying, you know, the speed limit is 30 when it detects you're going 35. Yes. Or which just, or, you know, slow down. Or, or yes, or, or take a break, which seems to be the other one that seems to come yeah. up quite regularly. Um, I don't have a problem with this. I don't, actually. No, I don't Because either. I hate, I see, you know, there's no excuse. You can buy a Bluetooth earpiece for 10 quid, you know. 
um, nearly every car that's come out in the last few years has hands-free in it one way or another via Bluetooth or via USB plug or whatever. Um, Tell immediately when you see someone in front of you. I mean, I followed someone last week who ended up two-thirds of the way on the wrong side of the road and then came back across the road and almost hit the curb <laughs> simply because they, yeah. they were obviously on their phone. I couldn't see they were on their phone, but I'm, a good guess is that they were doing something on their phone. Yeah, no, it's, you know, sorry. Ever since uh, ever since I had um, a smartphone, one of the first first things I did was go out and buy a Motorola Rip. Yeah. Um, now I could actually have my phone connect to my car, but I find it preferable to use a Bluetooth Rip. Oh, that's fair enough. No, um, I prefer that. I find it easier. However, when I get my new car later in the year, I shall be getting a car, and it has Apple CarPlay. Ooh, so that would be interesting to um, be interesting to see how I feel about that. Um, the problem with the Bluetooth at the moment uh, in my current car is if I connect my phone to my car, then it, the bloody car takes control of the phone every time you go near it. Uh, yeah, yeah, they do tend to do that. Yeah, it's like annoyingly, you know, if you're and as my car actually you know parks outside my house quite close if i'm sitting at one end of the living room and it's it'll bloody connect to the car <laughs> then the phone rings and what happens is you can hear the phone ringing and then you realize it's the, it's the ringing in the car <laughs> yes no you have like, to shake out of the window it's <laughs> <laughs> trying you're desperately trying to turn the bluetooth off you know so no um but as i say so i prefer not to connect my car but that's then again the car i've got six seven years old so you know technology's moved on quite a lot indeed yes I, 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 my leaf has a uh, has a bluetooth connection and i must admit i do like it for listening to podcasts and stuff so so yeah when i get carplay i shall see what i think um what else have we got and we'll wrap this up fairly quickly i think um mac jim sends a link here to eco talk a new kind of mobile call service uh which runs on ee <laughs> But they claim to be powered 100% by green energy, uh, making a uniquely green mobile service. Um, they also do Ecotricity, which is, uh, you know, you can buy your electric from them, which they claim is 100% green as well. Um, and there's a link in there. I, I looked at the prices. They're, they're fairly, uh, what you'd expect, fairly standard prices for phone packages. Obviously, you have to own your own phone outright yes. to be able to sign yeah. up. Um, they're, not, they're not doing any deals on, you know, they don't handle any... So it's bring your own device, but if you want to, uh, what they do, by the way, with the money, uh, and what makes this slightly different, I guess, is that they put a percentage of their profits into purchasing land, which they then um, turn into uh, wild, like wildlife sanctuaries. Oh, right, okay. So is, is um, EcoTalk owned by Ecotricity? I, I believe so. Oh, right, okay. they, they seem to be the same. They seem to be the same company. Yeah, because of course, um, Ecotricity, uh, um, uh, in partnership with Nissan, put most of the rapid chargers in service stations up and down the UK. Right. Uh, uh, we use money we make from customer bills to buy land back to give back to nature. We buy farmland and let it run wild, making homes for bees and wildlife. So they're really good. So if you're into that, and you know, I, I very much support them. Very much. Uh, good, good for them. Uh, so that was that one. Um, right, what else was there? Uh, oh, okay. Um, France's Cyber Command marched on the Paris's Bastille Day. Uh, this really is just a quick thing. Um, France allowed their newly uh, created Cyber Command, uh, created in 2016, I believe, to march in the Bastille Day parade. And that, of course, is only significant in the fact that France is saying that uh, their military cyber um, command 
are as uh, you know as important as any other part of their military now, and that they believe that uh, that's important. Jolly good. Did they have to carry their laptops? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Did, how do you? How do you? You know. How do you present arms? <laughs> present arms. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all right. I'm not sure slope arms would be quite so good. Anyway, no, I mean, I, I, it depends on what they're using, of course. Because if they've got, if they've got iPhones, they would definitely be able to present arms, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, just a snippet. Uh, there's a link here to Matteo Bandai's device-powered objects are designed to beat smart smartphone addiction. Um, I don't know if you looked at that, Nick. It's, I kind of, I kind of, I got the idea, but I kind of sneered at it. Uh, the idea is that there's a variety of things, an alarm clock, a lamp, um, such things, which will only work when you plug your phone into it. And if you t- touch your phone, then they turn off. Oh, right. Okay. The idea being to, uh, you know, you put your phone in it and therefore you can't use your phone, um, you know, without disrupting whatever it is you've plugged it into. Uh, I think... If you really feel you need one of these, great. But um, otherwise, I suspect they're very expensive doodads for uh, riding on a um, current fad. Yes. For digital wellness. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's quite obvious that everyone uses their phones a lot. Um, Yeah. uh, uh, That's that's partly because they're not just phones, are they? No, they're not. And, um, you know, all this hysteria about, you know, it's destroying society. I can assure you, I can probably find you Victorian articles talking about Telegraph, the <laughs> newspapers, the radio. The same, yes. Uh, you know, exactly, you know, yeah. Digital, uh, was it, you know, video arcade games, anything you know. Oh, like. I wish I'd got a soundboard. <laughs> We're all doomed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't, have we got, I haven't got, I don't think I've got an old doomed. I've got uh... <laughs> I got this one though. <laughs> there we go. Very good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. It wasn't that funny. <laughs> no. Yeah. All right. We got the. I've got. No. <laughs> um. I. I think this sort of digital wellness, and we all need to put our phones down and whatnot. Yeah. I guess to an extent, but that's surely that's just more of a social thing. Yeah, I, I think it? it is. It should it just make it, you know, if if we really think that people looking at their phones, you know, at glancing at their phones whilst they're doing something else, if we feel that feel that that's rude and inappropriate, then as a society, we should just make it clear we don't think that's acceptable. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's as simple as that. Uh, you know? And in all honesty, if you're really interested in something, you're not going to be looking at your phone. No, um. so I think that's, um, <laughs> you know, there's this thing sort of saying about, well, read the article if you're interested. Uh, I kind of get the idea, yeah. but it just smacks of riding the riding the wave. Um, talk about CarPlay. CarPlay, uh, CarBridge for iOS is released, apparently, which lets you use any app in CarPlay, including Waze, Google, Fortnite, Netflix, YouTube, and more. Netflix. Uh, this is from Red... Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, uh, there's a reason, really, why Apple, I think, uh, restricts certain apps. Uh, but if you really feel that you want to get around them, this and app will break. allow you to do it. Um, I guess there are some things you might want to use, you know, Waze or whatever I can understand. There would be things that you might wish to... But uh, are, I mean, Waze is coming anyway, isn't it, in the next, next yeah. uh, iOS update? Uh, so. Google, you really need, you know, if you need something, just ask Siri, I guess. I don't know, what, what's Fortnite? Do you know what Fortnite is? 
Oh, I know what Fortnite is. It's the Battle Royale game. Ah, it's right. The, okay. The thing that's everywhere. Yeah, don't don't be trying to play Fortnite while you're driving people. That's <laughs> not a good idea. You might crash in an Yes, or any game, manner. in fact. <laughs> yes, or have Netflix on, thank you, or YouTube. You know, don't be a div. Don't be a div. Distracted driving killed. <laughs> right. Um, right. Uh, these Worth a chirp. Um, Fontbundles.net and designbundles.net, who are also going to come on the show soon. Um, this is a, uh, a company, obviously, as you might guess, who uh, sell fonts. Um, but as per off, you know, it's one of these things where they email you every day and say there's the font of the day and it's reduced to $2 or oh, right, get, yeah. this, get a big bundle of fonts for so much. But they also um, have a sister site called Design Bundles that has, you know, sort of clip arty type things, uh, which you can buy. But if you sign up, they will send you, I think there's one or two fonts a week for free that you can download and usually a couple of designs. So... Um, oh, right. Is it a free sign-up? Yeah. yeah, all you have to do, you go to fontbundles.net and designbundles.net and give them your email address. And if you don't want them to have your real email address, use 33mail or sudo mail or the like. Yeah. Um, that sounds quite and, cool. Uh, they send you, uh, you know, you, they do send out quite a lot of emails because it will be today's bundle for this and don't forget the, the giant, you know, craft bundle and this, that and yes. the other. Uh, but that said, you know, they're, they're not expensive. They're bundles. They're very good deals. And, you know, you don't have to buy anything. And a couple of times a week, they'll give you something for free. Totally good. Um, so, yes, and they're coming on the show, as I say, uh, to be talking about their service and what inspired them and, and all the others. And, uh, of course, I still have a few codes left for Donnie's giveaway stickers. So if you want one, contact EssentialApple at sudomail.com and I'll give you some stickers. And uh, Donnie pointed out to me that the way to redeem them, by the way, go to the App Store on the iPhone. Don't try and do it from eNi messages like I do, because then you just get off a touch ID and I accidentally paid 99p for a sticker pack. Not that I'm going to cry, but um, go to the App Store on your iPhone and scroll right to the very bottom where you will find a link called Redeem Code. Uh, or redeem, and you click that, and then you enter the code, and you will get the you will be given the sticker pack for free. So that's the public service announcement on how to use codes for free stuff. Because <laughs> I couldn't figure it out, Donny. I had to ask Donny, how do I do it? And he said, you've got to scroll right to the bottom. And actually, if you don't know, you would probably give up before you got down there because there's a long <laughs> way down on an iPhone. It's a long, long way down the page. Isn't there? A, isn't there a key press to get to the bottom or something? Uh, no, there's a key, well, not that I know. There's a key press to, to get the to top. the top. Yeah, there ought to be one to get to the bottom as well, shouldn't there? There's not one to get to the bottom of the page. That I know of. If you know of one, please tell us. <laughs> yes, please. Please, <laughs> please tell us. Right. Well, Nick, that's a long show because there was an awful lot of stuff. There was. So um, I guess we'll round it up. Okay. So uh, thank you for coming on. And you, of course, are on the Twitters as at Bligosh. That's correct. S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. That's correct. And I am on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. The show is at Essential Apple. The website is at EssentialApple.com. And uh, I think we'll just say uh, goodbye. Shall we, Nick? Yeah, let's do that. Bye, Al. Bye, everybody. This has been the Essential Apple podcast. And uh, I'd just like to say that uh, if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, Go over to EssentialApple.com and you can take a look at 
the Patreon or the Pinecast Tips Jar, where you can either make a single donation or you can make a, a regular subscription. And all the money that you donate will go towards paying for the things like hosting and better microphones and such like. And of course, a very special thank you to those of you who already do support the show. We really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. We are part of the MyMac Podcasting Network, where you can find such shows as Tech Fan with Tim and Dave, MyMac with Guy and Gaz, The Three Geeky Ladies, The Geekiest Show Ever, uh, The Excellent Bart Bouchots with his Let's Talk, The Club Nintendo, um, and probably some that I forgot. So why not head over to MyMac.com, download a show, and take a listen. This is Optimus Prime calling all Autobots. Prime to all Autobots. A new tech fan podcast has been released. Return to base immediately so that we can all enjoy the humans talking about technology. Repeat Optimus Prime to all Autobots. A new tech fan podcast from Spotlight Network has been released. Return to base immediately. Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.